Hi, I'm Stacy. I love chatting about how to find our callings, preferably cozied up with steaming beverages in a coffee shop. You can connect with me on social media at Stacy Summerow and subscribe to StacySummerow.com for a free discernment packet called How to Make the Right Choice. God's adventure awaits, my friend, and I am thrilled you're on the journey with me. Welcome to another episode of the Cold and Caffeinated Podcast. I'm particularly excited for this one because we're touching on one of the most important things in our society, which is building strong families. And it's about discerning a vision for your family. And Lila Lawler, who has been just thinking deeply and living the day-to-day life of raising six children, uh, is going to share so much wisdom from her new uh, book called The Summa Domestica, which of course is a play on the Summa Theologica by St. Thomas Aquinas. So I don't know about you guys, but this is my favorite time of year. Um, Also, I hope you can't hear my dishwasher in the background. (laughs) Maybe you can. I don't know how much this actually picks up, but um, I don't have like a fancy recording studio. You know, we're just doing this from the living room. And it just occurred to me that, you know, the dishwasher might be a character in this episode. (laughs) Anyway, I just, uh, I just love this time of year. And when the winter slowly turns to spring, I just feel so inspired by so much hope and the beautiful sunshine. It reminds me a lot of the Be Not Afraid conference, which took place almost exactly two years ago, Uh, began on March 20th of 2020, right when COVID was, you know, kicking off if you want to use that term and then it ended a month later so you can still access all of those materials from the be not afraid conference they're free and you can just go to my website stacysummerow.com and go to the virtual events page and check it out just uh, all you have to do is enter your email and you'll immediately get access in your inbox to the be not afraid conference materials which i think are going to stand the test of time because honestly the world is not any less stressful now than it was then um and so yeah lots of lots of prayers for everyone around the world very much needed um so feel free to do that and while you're at it you know feel free to check out the true north course it's a discernment course that i wish i had had when i was in my 20s and making a lot of my big life choices and it's a course i wrote for because it basically didn't exist and those materials that are included in that course benefit me and many others around the world i was so fortunate to teach it to a pilot group back in 2020 uh, from 13 different countries around the world and now i've opened registration again so again go to stacysummerow.com and go to the virtual events tab on my website and i'll be sure to link uh link to it in the show notes it's five modules self-paced and it includes personalized coaching with me. So uh, yeah, feel free to come and check that out. That's going to be available for a limited time. Now, before we get to our episode, I want to share an amazing resource with you. I hear from my listeners all the time about how hard it is to find community. And I talk all the time, of course, about how vitally important it is to foster intentional community. The Christian Family Movement, which is this episode's sponsor, is a growing worldwide movement with three generations of experience geared toward fostering authentic friendships. So it's based right where you are in your parish or neighborhood. And if there isn't already a pre-existing group in your area, perhaps you could pray about starting one with the support of CFM. So I love that they really support new groups with materials so you're not just flying blind. They welcome dual and single parents, widowed parents, and even engaged couples. So it's really inclusive. And the membership costs are super low. It's like $10 to join. One family wrote that CFM gives you the ability to raise G-rated kids in an R-rated world 
which I know is a huge point of interest for my husband and me, as well as for all of our friends with kids. So to me, building community is kicking off the heavenly banquet right here on earth. And I invite anyone who wants a stronger community to visit cfm.org and to seek or start a group in your area. And of course, I'm going to leave a link for you in the show notes. Also, I want to thank this episode's other sponsor, which is Catholic Match. It is the largest dating Catholic uh, Catholic dating platform anywhere. I remember well the moment when I felt that I was ready for marriage and I had done a lot of what I wanted to do in my career and I had lots of friends, but no one was asking anyone out and I knew I knew that I needed to seek elsewhere. And even though I was honestly not thrilled with my how I met my husband's story being that we met on a dating platform, I finally admitted to myself that that hangup was just my pride and I joined. And I'm so glad that a platform like this exists to help bring people together. So I want to just prepare my single friends who join that you're going to encounter, just as I did, the mental battle of online dating because the devil doesn't want you to find your vocation. There will be missed connections and you will have to talk yourself down from envisioning marriage with four kids and a dog and a house in Cape Cod with a guy that you just know from his brief profile. So those struggles are going to happen. And I want to be honest because I want you to expect it to take time and I want you to expect those spiritual struggles. But ultimately, if you feel ready to be married, you're giving yourself the very best possible chance by joining Catholic Match. So I am a proud so-called survivor of the dating scene and of course, so grateful to Catholic Match, which facilitated me meeting my wonderful husband. So you can follow Catholic Match on Instagram at Catholic Match for dating advice. And you can start your free po- profile at catholicmatch.com slash called and caffeinated. And of course, that will be in the show notes as well. All right, let's get to our wonderful episode with Lila Lawler. Lila, thank you so much for being my guest on Called and Caffeinated. Welcome and cheers. Cheers. My rifted Polish pottery, my little cup <laughs> for the afternoon. <laughs> That's amazing. My mom has like eight of those. She's, yeah, she's a huge Polish pottery fan. Oh, I love them. But I found these little ones. So I was like, oh, that's perfect for my little afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you can't go as hard in the afternoon. That's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Well, congratulations on your beautiful, not just one book, but three. This is the Summa Domestica. And... (laughs) I was telling my friend about this and she's like, I want a copy and I want to put it next to my husband's Summa Theologica. And I was like, that's great. His and hers Summa. It's so great. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And mine will totally stand up to the other one. So I have no qualms about that whatsoever. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It's the compilation of so many years of collective wisdom and memory. And honestly, there's so much we could talk about. Uh, So I went to some of my mom friends and gathered some questions, but I also wanted to leave this interview a little bit open because I, um, I wanted to make sure that you could share whatever was most on your heart. Um, I know that you get into the nitty gritty, but then you also do a lot of the really big picture questions of discerning your vision for your family and education and building a family culture, which I just love talking about. And I feel like I'm hungry for it. So many of my friends with young children are hungry for it and older children too. So, um, First, though, let me just ask you the question I ask all of my guests, which is what calls have you received from God in your life so far? And what has receiving those calls looked and felt like for you? Well, I am the kind of person who would not really ever say that I had received a call from God. I don't feel ever that God, um, you know, 
speaks to me directly in that way that I hear other people talking about. Um, mm-hmm. You know, maybe once in a while there will be something that comes into me in prayer, but I rely very heavily on that um, the present moment being uh, a very much an expression of the will of God and that my state in life is a calling. So, you know, when I met the man who would become my husband and I did receive the grace to just look at him in a way that I had not been taught to look at um, a prospective spouse and say, would he make a good father? That is not something that I was taught. Mm. And, and, um, I and he is 10 years older than I am so I was only I mean I was really 17 when I was saying this question to myself and really it was kind of like I think he would make a good father to my children and that to me is was a grace and that is if I can point to anything it's just well we did marry and so our marriage is our call and uh, we are the means for each other to go to heaven and um, I know that my husband helps me amazingly to be a better person. I can only hope that I do my part. That's beautiful. <laughs> I'm really glad you said that actually about never hearing God like talking to you directly. Because on this podcast, we talk all about discernment. And there are so many different ways that God speaks to us. And I think it's really reassuring for anyone who hasn't heard God speak in that God voice that we all think he's going to, right? Or he doesn't give us a sign. I'm like, where's my burning bush? You know, Um, (laughs) like I haven't gotten that. So I think it's really reassuring because, you know, um, especially with your blog and the way that you have built your life on your faith, it's reassuring to know that you don't have to hear God speaking in that, you know, deep God voice that sounds like Morgan Freeman. Um, (laughs) But God can still put calls on your life in a different way. And it sounds to me like the voice of the Holy Spirit whispering to you or the voice of God would be that, that knowledge and that, that realization, which you came to through, uh, you know, through your own sense and through your own, you know, that, that gift of grace to know that he would be a good father to your children. And that, that's Mm -hmm. that deeper part of your heart speaking, you know, and when God's, well, it's that, Definitely was something because you have to understand that I come from a background of um, my parents being divorced and being raised very much in a very progressive place where um, atheism was very much in fashion. So everybody I knew was an atheist. Um, I did attend public school and it was a very progressive and um, elite public school just due to the place where it was. And um I would say that every force that was um, just uh, every force that was uh, pressuring, you know, coming on, bearing down on me, from my parents to my teachers to, I mean, just society in general, was definitely speaking the voice of seek yourself, seek pleasure, seek. Um, your fulfillment, actualize yourself, all the messages of the secular world. And so, um, and also not to think about the future, not to make any plans other than plans for your success, you know, your academic success or career success or whatever, but not to think of what would actually 
promote your well-being, such as pursuing virtue and surrounding yourself with friends who were virtuous. Mm -hmm. So for me to have this thought, um, especially because I didn't think I was going to get married and have children. I mean, just Mm -hmm. I thought that I'd go to graduate school and have a career and maybe someday, you know, when I was 30 or something. So um, I mean, I didn't know anything. I thought all that until I was married at the age of 19. I mean, I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> so, so yes, I would say that um, that was definitely a moment of grace. But yeah, I don't, um, I'm more of a person who says that you'll know God's will by what your duties are, because really, you know, it's not about how we feel about things. It's about, it's about what, what we ought to do and um, God gives us a sure guide in the Ten Commandments, and He gave us our Lord Jesus Christ to um, interpret those for us and to demonstrate through His redemptive act that He Himself is the law, as Pope Benedict wrote. And so these are the things I just, you know, I rely on all that. I don't really, I don't really hear voices or calls. <laughs> That's that's great, though, because I think a lot of us kind of want deliverance from the mundane or deliverance from the things that are hard because we want to hear a voice from God telling us to do otherwise. But like you said, the duties of God's will are built right into our daily life much of the time for those of us, especially who are already living our vocation. And we are, we have them in front of us and we might not like them and we do have the power to change them sometimes. But, you know. Do I have the power to kick out my children? No. no. <laughs> I do not have the power to kick out my toddler. So God's will is very clear that we have to find a way through. And I think you're absolutely right. Yes. And it reminds me, too, of the, the definition of freedom as the ability to do what you ought, not the ability to do what you want. And it sounds like yeah. that's been a huge learning curve for you from your childhood into now as a mother of, do you have six children? Is that right? Seven. Seven. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. I left one out. (laughs) Um, And it's so, I mean, that's amazing as a great foundation for our conversation, too, because you would think from reading your Summa that you were groomed for this your entire life. But I know, I remember you you said you didn't know how to sweep a floor when you got married. So a truly impressive uh, transformation and learning. Like, thank you for, for learning from the ground up for all of us. Yeah, and as I do have to correct that impression a lot of times. And either somebody is admiringly saying, oh, you were the recipient of so much wisdom and thank you for passing it along, which is just not true. I will credit my parents for saying certain fundamental things that um, that were beacons to me, but as far as just how to live life, not at all. And then, or people criticize me and I have gotten a lot of criticism because they've said, well, you've, you have a privileged life. You don't understand the issues that people have, whether they are issues of coming from a broken home or not um, being prosperous. And I just have to laugh because I was definitely, I mean, I'm an only child. My parents were divorced when I was very young. I, um, I was in many ways neglected as a child. Um, alternating with being indulged, which is almost the worst combination 
<laughs> neglect and indulgence um, together. And um, also just having, you know, falling prey to all, as I mentioned before, the ideologies, um, which I was very much in the midst of. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and my husband and I have had really hard times where, you know, we didn't even subsist on what we could get at the thrift store. We subsisted on what bags people dropped off in the back of my back porch. So, you know, those, those either one of those things is not correct. And I, part of what motivated me to write, uh, to start the blog and to write about all these things is that I do understand and I did live through it. And I get not only all of that, but the loneliness of of having a couple of little children and just feeling like I don't have friends. I don't know how to make friends. I'm here in the city where every woman my age, even that I meet at church or what have you, is has a career and is not home all day. I'm at the playground, you know, sitting and chatting with the nannies. And that's nice. I mean, I like nannies. I'm not, I'm nothing against nannies, but you're not going to really relate to them. Although I, I definitely got one piece of wisdom from, from one nanny, um, which is when she was telling me, she just suddenly told me, she asked me how many children I had. And then she was minding two little children. And she said, she was from Jamaica. And she said, we need, we need to have another baby. Mother and father need to have another baby. And I looked at her like, hmm, this is a little odd. You know, does the nanny get to decide? And then as I thought about it, I realized, oh, actually she is kind of taking care of the household and she has the children's good at heart. And she's saying, these children need a sibling. And it's kind of like, on the A, do you want to let that into your marriage and life, a third party who's going <laughs> to tell you what, <laughs> what should happen next? And B, would you listen to someone who can see what the good is for your children and and actually it's kind of opened my eyes so i'm not scorning the nannies by any means but i would have liked to have had some other mom friends and didn't so there was a, a lot of you know with a couple of exceptions as time went on you know i did find people who shared my um principles and dreams and hopes but uh, yeah, it it was not easy when I started. It, it was an, a very difficult time, a time of upheaval. And um, remember, no internet. So yes. it wasn't that way. Like you met people by going to the playground, going to church. There was no connecting with people in, the, in this virtual way. So I, I do really understand the things that people are going through. Absolutely. And it's, uh, I love how you write so much about peace and happiness in the home, which I, I know is what all of us want. Um, and I just want to focus in real quick on the subtitle of the Summa Domestica, which is Order and Wonder in Family Life. So why did you choose Order and Wonder in the title? Well, um, that is something that I had written about. And uh, it, it, so I had posts about order and wonder. Um, order because a lot of what I write about is just saying how do we do the things that we know we need to do to make a home and take care of children and be a good wife there's just an order to things and what is that order and should we just be at the mercy of every day waking up and not having a clue about you know like look glancing over and saying well I mean there is a pile of dishes there maybe I should do them that isn't really a way to live so I'm a very systematic person my father was an engineer so I'm definitely he was not only an engineer he was an engineer who dealt with 
processes and getting them in effect wherever they needed to be. And so I definitely inherited that. And so for me, it was kind of like I'm an older mom and I just said, I need to write about this. So, you know, people need systems for everything. Yes. But then, you know, thinking about education, thinking about life, thinking that um, the, the beginning of wisdom is just having wonder, looking at the stars, being aware of our in one way, our littleness, and in another way, our ability to see things that are so beyond us. All those things are such beauties that speak to us, not only of um, the goodness of life, but of God himself. We want those things, so how do we uh, get them? And one thing I try to say is we don't get them by directly trying to grasp them, but by somehow accepting the hierarchies of life and through those um, to, to be surprised, as C.S. Lewis said, by joy. Um, so I had written about all those things. And then I had kind of come up with this title, The Summa Domestica, just almost really as a joke. But people were saying, and my friends were all like, that is a great title. You got to go with that. So I was like, okay. And then actually one of my readers um, who I imposed upon, and I mentioned her in the acknowledgments that I imposed upon her to, to read, to start reading the manuscript in its very um, <clears throat> somewhat chaotic form. And she wrote back to me almost immediately and she said, you know, Lila, you really need to, you really need to call this whole thing order and wonder because this is really your message. And this is what, you know, she had followed me from the beginning and she was like, this is what captured me. This is what it's really all about. And you're the one who says it in a way that is helpful to people. I mean, I'm sure there's lots of people who say lots of good things. I'm not saying I'm the only one, but she did very kindly and um, helpfully <laughs> say that that was my guiding principle. And yeah. so that is how it ended up being in the title really was on her advice, which immediately struck me as being extremely helpful for my ability to organize this mass of information and writing that I had somehow it had to be talk about order it had to be organized and I was having trouble so she really did help me yes it's definitely the title really grabbed me and everything in the book too because you have so much right down to thrift store shopping and keeping laundry you know and honestly I only got the book last week I think or all the books last week so I haven't read all of the, everything but as soon as I started looking through the contents I was like thank you God because uh, for someone who is much more tends to be like you know the wind blows you know I'm the, right. the artistic sort of I'm not a systems processes person and so finding that systems and processes are really essential for our family and that we're all happier when we have them but at the same time trying to find that line between structure and then letting the children run, letting the children do what they want to do, you know, unschooling a little bit. That is an art. It really is. Plus, then you have to build in how do I keep house and do the laundry and the dishes and the bathrooms and the and everything and the vacuuming in addition to all the all of the other things. So Right. And one really important thing that is not easy to to grasp right now while we have people who actually are kind of in a way almost monetizing their um the the purveying of wonder 
is that um, in a in a kind of paradoxical way, we have to let go of making everything intentional so that we can have enjoyment, which is really what wonder is. Wonder is really the enjoyment of God's creation, the enjoyment of each other. And if we're feel if we feel pressure, and really the pressure comes from people's voices because they kind of have something to sell us, um, that every every moment has to give us a feedback of this is how important this moment is or don't you sense the wonder i mean i know yes. someone you'll be at a gathering you'll be all together and she'll turn and say isn't this fun and it's kind of like well as soon as you say that we're not actually having fun we're talking about having fun which is different you can only really uh, appreciate how much fun you have later when you're thinking about it at some yeah. point you just have to let go and enjoy now the way to enjoy your life which which by the way includes resting um also paradoxically is to put in some work and so you're not always being oppressed by how much there is to do that you're not doing so yes. um, and that is where the order <laughs> comes in and even to the point of saying and they do say this in the book you know so in the morning when you wake up and you say, well, what do I have to do today? There can only really be three things on your list. And by the way, all managers, uh, you can go to the McKinsey uh, group and ask them. All the managers will tell you this. Three things. You cannot have a list as long as you are, especially when you're a mom who already there's things built into your to-do list. And I always say, just go ahead and put those down so you can cross them off. But I mean, honestly, yes. that day you're looking at it and you're saying, I will be doing well if I change diapers, put a load of laundry on and make dinner. And those are the three things that you're going to do. And you cannot be oppressed by the voices and the people out there who are doing a million things, plus somehow also posting about them. I don't know. I kind of feel like let's just take it down and let's build in time for rest and for enjoyment. And otherwise, we're going to be, uh, we're going to end up being sick. So, in more ways than one. So, th this is kind of my message. <laughs> Maybe I'm just getting older, but honestly, I mean, this is, you know, when I started blogging when Bridget was 10 and she's now 25. So, um, is she your she, youngest? She's my youngest and, and she's six years younger than the next one. So everybody oh, was wow. kind of either, you know, had already left home or was in college or was busy in high school. And so I actually did have some, and she was, an, and still is, an extremely focused person who's just going to do her thing and, you yeah. know, and... Um, so you really like, waited until after you had gained some distance from all of those toddler years and the intensity mm -hmm. of the, you know, uh, elementary school and all that till, till they I had. Did. Mm -hmm. I did, but at the same time, I still had a lot of busyness and a lot of things going on, but I started to notice, and this is what I really wanted to write about was if you put in the work to do, to make sure, you know, and there's just my basic things of that, you know, that you know what's for dinner, that your laundry is taken care of. I mean, it might be in baskets around the house, but it's in process. <laughs> it's not in a one 
pile indiscriminately between clean and dirty in the laundry room um, and that your you your home is reasonably clean sometimes it's not as clean sometimes it's more clean but it's not a question of you know filthy and chaotic or else everything stops while you you know deal with it if those things are in place then you'll be able to have the time and leisure to say, let me educate these children. Let me talk mm-hmm. to them. Let me hug them. Let me talk to my husband. You'll have all this, this mental space, spiritual space, and even physical space to put your feet up and take a nap, which, by the way, would be one of the most fruitful things that a mom could do. I'm here to say, uh, I, I recently it. came across somebody talking about a uh, rule of life, which is just, you know, when you decide for yourself what things you're going to try to put in place every day. And when you looked at this lady's schedule and she had little children, she has little children. She And it's a friend of mine who remarked this to me. Um, she gets five hours of sleep a day. And that is not enough. I am here to tell you that you will have a serious crisis of major proportions and you will not understand why God doesn't take care of you, why your husband doesn't love you, why your children are so terrible, why you're sick. You will not understand any of those things. But Auntie Lila will tell you is that you're only getting five hours of sleep a night. Yes, yes, absolutely. That's so true. I think... So many of us, and I, I've fallen prey to this as well, you know, fall prey to the, the um, Pinterest trap of um, your house needs to be perfect or else you're failing, which of course it's never going to be. And then you're going to be kind of miserable, you know, because of your expectations, not because of your actual um, uh, true peace. I think I've, I'm starting to learn that, you know, my, my, son, my oldest is turning five next month. I think I'm just starting to learn where is the line where when I sit down Uh, And I actually have some time to myself where I could work or I could, you know, pray or read a book or do something else that I would like to do. The line between clean enough and (laughs) too dirty, uh, we got to take care of this now. Um, How did you kind of discern that line? I mean, I'm just starting to find it. So (laughs) anyone you have to share on that of just that kind of that boundary, this is skipping around a little bit in the questions I gave you, but, you know, letting go of those optional projects or maybe even you know, um, sorry, this is expanding the question a little bit, but I think it's worth mentioning, you know, there's the, um, (laughs) there's endless things that you can do as a, especially a Catholic mom, building a Catholic culture for your family, right? My mom is like, she does all the liturgical tea parties. So, which is amazing. You know, she loves, this is her hobby. She loves like making a lord's grotto out of rice krispie treats on the our lady of lord's feast day and you put a little mary statue inside well yeah the, yes the, so fun yeah which is so awesome fun. that is yeah. not my thing i right. i'm like here's an extra scoop of ice cream for our lady of i do really love rice krispie treats i do not <laughs> that I mean, that is actually one of my favorite desserts but um yeah i mean you know so and again this goes back to just giving yourself a little mental space through setting certain things in order because you can't even think about how you want things to be until you at least know what's for dinner. So you, right. you, you know, put some things in place and then you really say, you know, what, um, what is my goal 
So, for instance, to be realistic and say, I have three or four or six little kids, and um, it may be possible once a day, hopefully before my husband comes home, um, or if he works at home that, you know, before, like, we're all going to gather for dinner, that things are neatened up, and um, that on Sunday, we will worship and rest and celebrate to a certain extent, um, small or great, <laughs> depending mm-hmm. on the day. And so my week is going to be somewhat oriented. It will be oriented to Sunday. So I have during the day orienting towards, you know, whatever meal that is when our whole family is together. And then the week oriented towards Sunday. And like, what is it now? Some people have to say to themselves, challenge themselves like i've really gotta spend some time every morning just doing and i lay that all out in the book like here's how you break it down and you know there's the minimal sweeping through blitz clean and then there's the regular normal clean and then there's the deep clean every once in a while i go through all of those so some people really do and i'm one of those people i really just had to challenge myself on Mondays, you're going to do this. And on Tuesday, and we are not for two weeks, we are not going anywhere until I get this routine in place and it is embedded in my soul. Mm. That these are the things we're going to do. And then I'm not going to take a step until at least the laundry is done or, and I've attacked these rooms and then those rooms. So mm. I made myself up plan and just tried to implement it. And then, sure enough, once I had gotten the swing of it, then we were able to expand. Some people need to say, these are the things I'm going to do on these days, and that is all. And I am then going to say, I have checked my boxes, I'm not going to do anymore. Because there's other, more important things that have to happen. So we got to navigate between the putting up the plaque that says, bless this mess, and not ever thinking about it again. Because no, nobody can live that way with stuff... You know, cobwebs and yeah. things and yeah. milk puddled in the under the sofa, and you can't like you don't right. want people. You we just I do not want people walking into my house and saying there's a funny smell in here. You know that's yeah. not how I want to live. But we also cannot be, and this is just personality. Is just you can't be so focused on having everything so perfect in every moment that you can't do anything else. You can't rest. You can't take a nap. You can't concentrate on having a conversation with your husband. You know, so, and and there's so many aspects to that, but those are the basic things to know yourself. Which, which side do I fall on? And people laugh. Some people will laugh when I say, sometimes you need the schedule, uh, the cleaning schedule, so that you don't do too much. And people who are like me will laugh and say, don't do too much. That is not a problem. (laughs) There are some people for whom it is a problem. And just to be honest and say, yes, I am one of those people. Or to say, no, I am not. So, and and that's the fun of it is to know yourself. And then you make your lists and you make your um, organization of, of your time. And, you know, honestly, if we... This is the thing that I think is so funny about women in our era is that on the one hand, we are so determined to insist that a career outside the home is, the high, is our highest excellence that we can be called to. 
And the other hand, we won't put in the slightest amount of work to do to keep the home. And it's kind of like, well, if you ran a hotel, which is kind of like a home, let's say you ran a bed and breakfast, you would absolutely have a schedule and you would absolutely put certain hours of work into the laundry and what was for breakfast because it's a bed and breakfast and, and how it looked in the lobby when, you know, the main room, when people came in, you would make a schedule and a plan. But because you're the mother of a family, all of a sudden, oh, I couldn't possibly make a schedule. That would be, why would I ever do that? Well, because it makes sense. Like You're not going to get the things done if you don't have some plan for it. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, I, I'm very fortunate to be surrounded by a very large group of women in our area at our parish who are very dedicated to their families. And some of us have um, side interests like me with my podcast and um Another lady in the group is a writer. She's getting a book published next year. But we all are, you know, I'm luck, luck, very fortunate, very blessed to be surrounded by people who are putting in the work. Um, and I think sometimes for us, the struggle is like the struggle between like getting your house perfect <laughs> as insofar as possible versus like playing on the floor with your children. Because that is also a balance. Even if you are fully dedicated to your home, there's like a different... And I totally hear what you're saying about our culture in general. I think I have a, <laughs> I have a little subset of the culture that I'm very eager to stay in. <laughs> um, and so sometimes I know for us, it's like fitting in your prayer life and your housework, even within the home. That's an art as well unto itself, which is... It is. And little, again, yeah, but then with prayer life, even let's just take prayer life. Yeah. You know, this is where the rule of life comes in and, and, you know, you can, if people can look that up, I mean, it's something that is sort of borrowed from the religious life. And you, if you were going to join a convent, let's say, um, which, you know, you and I are not going to do that right now. <laughs> but let's say a young lady was going to go and join a convent. She would look at their rule of life and say, which one fits me? And which which rule do I follow that fits my pattern of life or what have you? And um, one thing that is very clear in monastic life is that there are the set times of prayer and then there are the set times of work. And if, let's say, a monk or a, a, a nun were to, at the time of work, say, oh, I just want to expand my prayer life, I mean, the superior would just say, nope, it's time to get out there and yes. feed the cows or whatever. And we have to do that to a certain extent for the sake of our spiritual health. We need to do that in our home, too, as married women and moms. We need to say, these are the times that I'm going to dedicate to prayer. Um, and St. Francis de Sales is very clear that um, once you set that time as a lay person, if something, an, a reason of charity comes up, that you, you go for the charitable thing, taking care of someone, you know, just whatever needs to be done. And you leave the prayer um, and all of these ideas that I'm throwing out are not my ideas. They're ideas from the spiritual directors and masters of the past that I'm just passing along. But if let's say you just say, you know, I can, and you talk to the priest you talk to and you say, yeah, I can fit in 20 minutes. And I like to say for myself, it makes it easier for me to say before 930, I'm gonna get this 20 minutes in. Versus 
at a certain time because I find at a certain time my my reaction is to just push against it. But if I have a deadline and then I look back, you know, I count backwards by 20 minutes, I'm like, this, it has to happen now or I'm not going to make my deadline. So that's just a little personal thing that helps me. That's very helpful, actually, because if you, because then you feel like you're failing if you don't get it in at this time versus a general window of time is much more achievable and then you can get it done and you're, you get what you need, but you don't have to be a perfectionist. I love it. Exactly. So I could do it at 8.30. I could do it at 9.10. (laughs) But if I've said 9.30, I'm going to be done, then that sets a certain limit. But anyway, um, and then to say, and I did it. I did my quiet mental prayer, or I had to get up and tend to someone, and it's done. Mm. And then to feel free, to have an interior freedom that, Today, I did that. Now, of course, there's a whole other kind of prayer that you're carrying along through your day. You're carrying within you. You're, you're making things into prayer. You're making the most mundane tasks that you do and everything that you do for someone else. You're making those apparent. It's like the incense of your life rising to God. And so your whole day, ideally, will be prayer. But as far as like always always in the back of your mind having it be, oh, I need to make more time for prayer. It can it can end up taking all the life and the pleasure out of everything. And God is not intending for that to happen to us. Yes. So I would say we need to be careful and to say, yes, of course, I want to be a woman of prayer, meaning I want to speak to God, have a conversation with God. I set a certain time and limit and then other than that, and of course, you know, and then the family rosary or what have you, mm-hmm. but to keep it specific and simple and not to, if you find, if a person finds that she's carrying around this like little rock on her shoulder that's always bearing down saying, I should have made more time for prayer. This is, this is not really, mm. it's not really good. It's not really something that God wants for us. Absolutely. Yeah. Those are also good and very reassuring. I think sometimes we just need to give ourselves permission to be okay with what is and to be flexible and also structured as needed and to not compare ourselves to other families, other people that we admire because we really only get a glimpse of their lives. So all of this is so reassuring to me. <laughs> just like to, I'm like, okay, I'm giving myself permission. This is good. <laughs> so thank you for that. Um, I want to dip a little bit into forming your vision of an education for your children because you speak in your book about how you don't like to go into curriculum. That's not, you don't see that as your role, but discerning your educational vision for your family, you give a lot of fabulous advice on that. So whatever you would like to share on that topic, I'm sure there's lots that we could talk about. Um, Well, in the book, I do recommend um, certain books that I think are important to read to become aware and Uh, educated in what education is and what um, how children learn and to discover that we actually do not know how children learn and to also know what in the past has been considered fruitful and helpful and actually has produced results 
um, because a lot of our, in our era, people have specialized in throwing out what has gone on in the past, rejecting it. And part of that is, uh, is a little bit self-serving because they have something to sell. And so if they were just going to say, yeah, I mean, basically classical education is the way to go and people figured it out and it's all there, <laughs> then that doesn't leave them any room to make any money. So we have to be very careful that we don't get lured by the flashy um, and appealing looking products before we have really ascertained for ourselves what the philosophy of all of these things really are. Mm. I think there are some things that are very helpful in the book. I do um, talk about each subject and I do have uh, certain recommendations, but you're right. I wouldn't myself provide a curriculum, just not good at that kind of thing. But what I do try to say is, especially when you have the chance, if it's, (laughs) if you haven't already had all your children and they're older, which that's a different situation. You just got to kind of run and catch up. But, but ideally the, the mother and the father, when, when they have time before the children are of the age to be in school, that they would do a lot of reading and just, just know more about what education is. And um, when one does that, one finds out a lot of things that, that there's, just a lot of ways to be educated and that it's not like you know I can buy a certain kind of car and know exactly how fast I'm going to be able to go from zero to 60 in that car how long that car is going to last me what the warranty is you know I know the outcomes and I know my price point and it's all there for me and I make my decision. But educating children isn't like that. And Mm, and we really cannot um, think that we're going to just plug something in and then a product is going to come out at the end of this time. So, and, and also to realize that the amount of effort that we put into it with all the trappings, like how beautiful the school room is and how many activities we do and how enriched all the different aspects of our environment are those things in themselves, they can be appealing to us and they can be a good use of our time and they can even be a hobby, but they don't necessarily translate into a good outcome for the child. And if you look at history, the most well-educated, brilliant people actually have I mean, the classic example is Abraham Lincoln with his like two books, reading by the firelight. I don't think that this is any Pinterest worthy type of curriculum, but it certainly produced a very uh, highly intelligent and um, and you know decisive personality and character in all of history. So there's something to be said for like, here's some books, kid, <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm giving you a lamp. <laughs> Unlike <laughs> Abraham Lincoln's mom. <laughs> so, um, High you know, class, perfect quality education. Pat uh, myself in the back and yeah. take the rest of the day off. <laughs> how can we argue with, you know, I mean, what it comes down to is what he was reading was, I mean, he was reading the 
very best. He was reading the Bible. I can't really remember. He, I think he had a volume of Shakespeare. And mm. truly, if we put our effort into the Bible and Shakespeare, I think we'd be better off yeah. than listening to a million different, you know, um, purveyors of of things that we don't really need. So my basic advice is read, read, read as much as possible. And I do have a reading list in there. Um, understand what our educational system is and where it comes from, the philosophies behind it, which are not benign, and understand the educational philosophies of the past and where they came from and try to recover. We have to recover most of all um, our connection with the past because that is what education is and it's the passing along of what we have received mm. and sure there's always going to be you know people having be, being having new ideas and coming up with interesting things and being creative and that's all wonderful but when you look into it you always find that they had a basis mm -hmm. on which to proceed and our task as educators is to give our children that basis we don't know what they're going to do with it but without that basis it's highly unlikely that we'll get anywhere unless somehow they're just exposed to things without even realizing, which is what happened to me. Um, you know, I got exposed to things. My The education that I had wasn't um, actually that great. As I told you before our talk began, I did not know that Indiana was east of Illinois as a, an adult, so I don't know how <laughs> successful this expensive education that I had was, but, um, but I did have access to really, really good books and to mm. interesting people, and, uh, you know, I think that that is not the case now. Um, there's actually forces that are trying and succeeding in um preventing our children from having access to good books and interesting people. So that's as parents, cool. that's what we're up against. And it's just a question of educating yourself, reading, and I do talk all about it in the book. I love it. Yeah. Um, my mom homeschooled us and um, all eight of us, not all the way through, but she did homeschool eight of us at um, for at least five years, I would say, of our education. And mm -hmm. she has spent years and years coming up with a book collection that is astounding. She she operates off of, um, she starts with a mother's list of books, which I will link okay. to in the show notes. Classic. It's been my amended. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of those books you can't get any more new. So she has gone to library sales where they often sell a lot of their really good classical books and bring on new progressive books, you know, that <laughs> I have to be really careful what we get from the library nowadays. But, you know, oh, yeah. starting off with something like that would be a great resource for anyone out there who's like, what do I let my children read? And, yes, and I have those book lists in the book. Um, also, John Sr.'s A Thousand Great Books. Yes, um, which are so important. It's so, and I talk about how important it is. Your mom is so wise. Mm -hmm. um, really, you should just have a podcast with her because she. Knows <laughs> I need to. Life. I really do. <laughs> she's very. She's very shy. She's not outspoken at all. But I may be able to convince her sooner or later. Yes. Maybe you can hide a camera, but um, <laughs> but, but yes, I, I'd say one of the best, most important things any family can do is to create their own home library. Uh, and then, you know, I have guidance for that. And on the blog for years, we have had the library project, which is acknowledging this problem that the library, the public library, which for so long was such a formative and important institution in our in our society, has not only been drained, but has actually been turned into a weapon 
against children so that children will go into the library and um and there's no other way to put it than that there are active forces that are lying in wait to get their imaginations yes. and to twist their imaginations yes. and guarding our children's imagination and forming them and their imagination is is truly one of the most really the most important um tasks that parents have I, somewhere john henry newman says that imagination is the basis of faith without imagination without the ability to create images and to be in our minds and to be able to see beauty in our minds we cannot have faith in because faith is unseen mm. so um as you know we are told in scripture um so so this is such an important task for parents it's really the central task and uh the, and then likewise to build a um to have music mm-hmm. to have art so that's why I don't really focus narrowly on curriculum per se, although I do have recommendations, especially for reading and um, writing and mathematics. But um, but it's more the environment. It's more that our children, if a child wanted to uh, sing with others, you know, he had already heard beautiful music, mm-hmm. including folk music. Um, and that if there's an instrument that he's drawn to, that there's an instrument there for him. And those are not easy things for a family that doesn't have a lot of money to produce. But if we focus more on that than on some of the other things that maybe, you know, we tend to get lured into thinking are important, I think we'd be better off. Yes, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you mentioned that we don't really know how children learn. I am... Uh, homeschooling my children preschool for the first time. I have a three-year-old, a very bright three-year-old and a four-year-old. So they're just doing the same things all together. Mm-hmm. And they're, <laughs> for like the first eight weeks, I was like, they must be stupid. They don't know anything. <laughs> and I just, I would, I, you know, we doing the letter of the week and I'd say, what letter is this? And they're like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> you know, and I would try to like get them to, I had a little letter board that I bought for them to just r- practice writing. We don't do anything else with it. It's a dry erase board. They just get to practice their letters and my son was very resistant to it. <laughs> I'm like telling my husband, I'm like, I think we have idiots for children. <laughs> and then one day my, my son just picked up the letter board and he, he says, mom, what, what word does this say? And he shows me and he's written half the alphabet. And I had never seen him write before. He didn't want me to tell him, sit down and write this letter now. Now write this letter. But he knew everything. And so from that, that was a good teaching moment for me because I was like, okay, he's hungry. I mean, my kids will sit for an hour and listen. They will never say, this is too many books. They are always, always into books. And I think in the long run, you start to see the fruits of that, you know, just, but at the beginning, it feels like, what are they even learning? <laughs> I know. Oh, yeah. And that's with the older children. Once you get more children and the older ones are older, it's hilarious. And every mom with a uh, young uh, young, big families can attest to this that you'll be sitting with the older child and saying you know something like now um now what kind of uh i mean i even remember doing shakespeare doing king lear with my high school students and bridget who was 10 said something about um she goes no that's edgar not edmund <laughs> and i thought 
who's paying attention? <laughs> That's amazing. Good and job. It, it was, it was, it was. And the point being that um, she, you know, if we can, this is where, you know, if we weren't so isolated in our communities, we would know these things and we wouldn't struggle so much when we're starting out with little children because we'll, we'd see it in other families. But it's almost like it's so indirect. If if you if you had older children there and they were playing with an alphabet board, mm. then your three year old would come along and and struggle and and say, "I want that," and then start writing. But because you're focused on the three year old and saying, "Now I want you to do this," they're gonna say, "No, I don't." Want to do that. <laughs> so that's the psychology of children. Yes. And once yes. you realize this, then you become very clever and you start to. You start to say, you know, oh, I'm I'm reading this book, but you wouldn't be interested in it. And my, um, <laughs> my friend, uh, auntie Sue, who you know I talk about a lot on the blog, she she um, she said her mother did that with her brothers that she would start a book, a chapter book. So her brothers were, you know, and they would be like in second grade or third grade and having trouble learning to read. So her mother would read aloud the first chapter, then she'd get halfway through the second chapter and she'd say oh i have to go start making dinner and she put the book down oh that's so smart we all have absorbed you know we are going to input the knowledge into our child <laughs> but there's a different way to approach it and uh and to remind ourselves we don't just actually don't know how they're going to learn and to try to remember how we learned things and yes. say, yeah, yes. i remember feeling that way this yeah. is the art of being a mother and it's the art of having a family and we need to like quiet those voices um that are so you know really just put it there they are clamoring for our attention and for our money and we need to get back to a more calm and confident as you said way of doing things and if i can help then i'm here to help so <laughs> that's you absolutely do absolutely and it reminds me also of um an instance i had this this fall where we were raised or summer last summer we were raising butterflies and this same little one who is bright he is sharp as a tack um, but he's the one who didn't want to sit down and write except when he wanted to and then he could do everything um, this little guy, you know uh, He and I had a great conversation We were raising butterflies and we we're making sugar water for the butterflies And so we had this great conversation about you add the sugar to the water and what's a chemical reaction It dissolves. This is what it looks like beforehand Then you add heat and he was like and then I hear him telling his little sister later. This is how you dissolve, and this is a chemical reaction, and he's teaching it to her, and he was all excited, and so I'm like, okay, there I have my my little doer. He needs to do things in order to learn them. He needs to kind of decide that he wants to take on this skill, and then he needs to have something physical. So I'm looking out for opportunities to, to do that for him, whereas my three-year-old, you know, she... She wants to imitate everything that I do. So I sing a song and then I hear her singing it later. So she has a different style of learning. So as long as I am a person who's curious and like a lifelong learner, she's going to want to keep oh, yeah. imitating me, at least at this phase of her life. I'm sure by the time she gets to be 13, we're going to have a whole different thing. But it's good to see like the power, just to use your powers of observation of how do my children learn. I am not an authority on this subject, but I'm just learning a lot this year. <laughs> <laughs> to say, how do my children learn and how can I just encourage that love of learning is kind of 
what I'm focusing on and letting go of the rest, most of the rest, you know, we do the letter of the week, but then we don't need to do like, they don't need to be able to do subtraction and multiplication by the end of this year in preschool. It's fine. Um, (laughs) Yes. Yes. Colors, colors, shapes, and then just the wonders of the world out there. Yeah, nursery, nursery rhymes. So I have a, I have a chapter about the importance of nursery rhymes, memorizing them. Yes. Um, And they will just hearing them, they'll memorize them. And that can be their poem that they memorized. And then, then the next year they'll memorize a little bit longer, something that isn't quite a nursery rhyme. It's a little more of just actually a poem. And before you know it, they'll be memorizing long poems. And that's, just to be gentle and not to worry and to rest. And to, mm. my friend, uh, Tree says, put it in our lady's arms, mm. rest in her arms. Yes. It'll be fine. And I always say, if mom is smart and dad is smart, the kids are going to be smart. <laughs> and a lot of times if mom and dad are not smart, the kids are going to be smart anyway. Because they're <laughs> going to run things. <laughs> yes. So either way, it's going to come out. So don't worry. It's going to be fine. Absolutely. Yeah. I think... Music and poetry are two of the things my husband and I are very passionate about. And again, I'm not an authority on the subject, but we do do a lot of singing together as a family. And, you know, it's amazing. My children can learn. They can hear me say a nursery rhyme once and then they can say it. And now we're working on little things because I, you know, I want them to do a little bit of learning to public speak so they uh, public speaking so they you know i'll have that i'll show them to put your arms by your sides you don't fidget mm-hmm, your, yeah. your nursery rhyme and then you take your bow afterward and Perfect. they're so good at it they're just they mm-hmm. really they pick it up and then they're so proud you know yes, that is worth uh years of of yeah memorizing letters or whatever it's the rest will come and for them to have that sense of not only of achievement and then those words stay in their minds and come forth at an at a opportune moment, moments, but also to know that they've given you delight. Yes. Especially that they've given their father delight. Yes. <laughs> something so beautiful to see. And I wish that parents would just let that happen and appreciate it and, you know, just accept it. And there, it doesn't necessarily need to even be mentioned to anyone or, you know, avoid that. Aren't we having fun <laughs> syndrome? <laughs> but but yes. to thank God for it and to, to, to just say, you know, God is good. He's given us each other to love each other and to accept each other and to um, delight in each other. And this is what the home and the family are all about. And without this, we will just we would just be miserable cogs in a wheel. So we are doing something. We're offering something to the world that the world desperately needs. Yes, absolutely. Yes. And <laughs> it's kind of just it's simple because like I find when I'm having fun with my family, that's when my children learn. That's when we all feel happiest. And like you were talking about earlier, that order is the reason. You know, if I feel like the dishes are done after dinner the house is reasonably clean. Now we can really enjoy each other's company and, and you need those systems. It's Sometimes those moments are still very fleeting, but I feel like as you go along and learn them, that's when you really start to realize that's the best part of life, I think, with oh, your yeah. with your family. Oh, yes. yeah. And you can never, you cannot plan for these things. Yeah. I remember one time, you know, my kids were <clears throat> probably like eight, 
just like probably 11 down to two or something. We were coming home. We went to the near uh, lake in the next town every, you know, most days in the summer just to swim for during the days. That's all. That was the only vacation we could afford was just driving to the lake. And on the way home, we're just driving, not really talking, you know, murmuring a little saying this or that. And then my son, you know, about five minutes before we got home, he just, so my 11 year old, he just said, I just love the feeling of coming home from the lake. And it's kind of just like, that was just a gift. And I didn't know that that's what he was feeling. And if I had asked him, like, how do you feel? <laughs> he couldn't have told me or he might not have said it. And we just have to accept, we have to be very accepting and very receptive and just say, that was a gift for me, for him to articulate that and to trust that even if they're not articulating it, if we ourselves have a sense of enjoyment and rest and peace, that they will too. Mm. They may not give signs of it, but it will be there. And yeah. to have confidence and trust in love and yeah, and to just be serene, not worry. Beautiful. I want to get to one more question really quick because this was from one of my listeners. Um, she asked me about meeting the emotional needs of all your children in a big family when the ages range from teenagers down to infants. This is something I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> How do you make sure everyone knows that they're loved when they're all at these very vastly different stages? Well, and I don't know. I guess you know, one thing is we have to accept that we are limited and we are not going to meet all their needs and we need to put everything in our lady's hands. She really is, Jesus on the cross gave her to us to be our mother. And I would say to her, you, he gave my children to you to be their mother and just do that because um, they need you. And I, I think uh, that we can try. And um, yeah, I have been there where the teenagers are, they are not going to say a word to you until well after 10 p.m. And you have a baby who is going to wake up at five. And you have to, you can't say, I cannot talk to you. I've got to go to bed. You can kind of say, do you think next time you could say this at eight o'clock? Which of course <laughs> Putting the littles to bed, get those littles to bed so that there is some quiet time Yeah. after that isn't at 11 p.m. That, so that you can talk to your husband, your older children can talk to you, like get those littles to bed really and truly. Do not let it just be a free-for-all. Yes. But also... You, that's why you have to prioritize your nap because you are going to be going to bed at 11 and waking up at 5 plus some two, at least two times in the middle of the night. So you got to have a nap. And that nap is your act of charity to your family. It is not you indulging yourself. It is you being charitable to your husband, first of all. Every day you should say to yourself, do I love my husband? I'm going to take a nap. <laughs> and uh, oh, I mean, it is stressful to be the mother of teenagers, period. But then also with babies thrown in, that is a really, really stressful time. And you got to do what you can to get through that. Then, um, you know, as I write in the book, 
there are little uh, tips and I kind of wish I had known them earlier. Again, I hope that my own children understand. I just was never taught these things. But one time I was observing uh, a mom of a lot of children and um, there was a lot going on. The reason we were there was there was a big party going on, a graduation party. And her 12-year-old, so, you know, we're talking about college graduation. So one of her older kids was graduating and then her 10-year-old comes and clearly he had run through the yard and he is coming into the kitchen. And the way she said his name, she just said, David, hi, how are you doing? And it was like, as if her best friend had walked into the room. And I thought, she has trained herself to say his name in that loving way. It's possible that maybe she grew up with people who said her name in a loving way, and maybe she just it just was part, is part of her nature. But at some level, you know, I think all of us have to not succumb to just like David. What's he doing? Why is he? Where has yes, he been? Yes, Why is he coming? Yes. Now? Why isn't he helping me? And we just have to say he's a person. I love is coming through the door. Let me just say his name lovingly if possible. That's beautiful. <laughs> and, um, mm-hmm. I think that that is kind of like those little things that we train ourselves mm. to just, you know, stop, look at that um, person and apprehend their presence. Yes. And, you know, with a mother who has kids running in and out all day, it's really hard. And this can be, this can be like the biggest challenge. And maybe even during Lent, I would say, you know, usually moms with lots of kids and pregnant and nursing and whatever cannot actually give up that much food. But one thing we could really work on is saying our husband's name lovingly, saying mm-hmm. our children's names lovingly, and just in general, like, looking up to greet them, looking at their face sure. instead of like, you know, even if it's a book, it doesn't have to be the phone. The phone is the bad guy, but it could yeah. even be a book or a magazine. Just like look up and just mm. acknowledge you know, that person is there. Yes. So, That's and good. you yes. know what? They will feel loved yes. and we yes. don't have to, um, we don't have to berate ourselves all the time. Give it to our lady and, you know, just say I'm doing my best. I'll try harder. <laughs> That's it. Yes. Thank you so much for all of your wisdom. I could talk to you for a very, very long time, but mm-hmm. I have to go take care of my family now. <laughs> so <laughs> many, many, many thanks. I think this will be a wonderful episode. And I will be sure to put a link in the show notes as well to purchase this book. I know some women are going to put it on their baby registry. I'm sure it's going to be on some wedding registries. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, we we produced it. And I think that Sophia did a great job um, to be presentation worthy. So yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. And may God bless you abundantly for all of your good work and all of your beautiful family as well. Oh, thank you. Take care. I don't know about you, but I felt like our time together just 
flew by. I so enjoyed my conversation with Lila. And if you would like to have more conversations with me and with members of my community online, I have formed this incredible Patreon group. Well, really the Holy Spirit has formed it. Uh, we have conversations twice a month. One is a rosary. One is just kind of a freeform chat. We're also doing a book club. And this amazing community of people have been brought together. Um, I wish I could even tell you how incredible it is. So if you feel like you need more community in your life and you would like to help support my podcast, go to patreon.com slash called and caffeinated. You can make a low monthly pledge starting at just $5 and that is your ticket into our community. Um, and it also helps support the provision of this unique discernment content. So of course, there'll be a link in the show notes. And until I see you for coffee next time, may God bless you abundantly, my friends.